saucer hovered over our backyard, and we got a real good look at it. It, it did some maneuvers and then took off towards uh, Fort Bliss, right along uh, the, the uh, southern New Mexico border, right towards El Paso, uh, and uh, at 9,000 miles an hour, I estimated. It did two 90-degree turns, and then, and then, uh, and you could see the electrical discharges and everything. Well, in 1957, my father was coming through Leveland, Texas, on a sales trip, and he just left Leveland. It was it was after dark, and a uh, yard, large flying uh, uh, saucer, I guess you could call it, came over his car, uh, and uh, his lights and engine went out. And he had he sat there. This thing was around 200 feet long. It was egg shaped, hovered over his car just a few feet above it, and he sat there and waited for 15 minutes or more. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, when the thing left, he was able to start his engine, but his lights were burned out. So he had to go back to Level Land, spend the night. And early the next morning, he drove on down to West Texas, down to uh, Odessa. Didn't say anything about it. Got up. Uh, uh, had a little bit to eat, and then took off to the Ford house to have his lights repaired. So I turned on the TV and saw the news report of all these sightings in Leveland. I knew what had happened because his lights were all burned out. So, uh, and he'd had to spend the night in Leveland before driving home. Otherwise, he'd have been home the night before. So I went down to the Ford house and asked him about it and asked him why he didn't say anything about it. And he said, well, he said, I didn't want to be called crazy. But uh, uh, he was at one point... When this guy tried to get me to write this book about the petroglyphs being being left by aliens, um, uh, he evidently, my father came through a couple of weeks after this guy had tried to get me to shut up, and he came through. And my father comes through on a, uh, returning from a sales trip, comes through and tries to dissuade me from talking about flying saucers. And I thought, well, this is really odd. First, this guy goes to work on me, and then my own father. So I got in an argument with my father over it, you know, because uh, I'd never seen him uh, kowtow to anybody uh, trying to shut him up about anything. And uh, so then uh, a couple of days later, I uh, was downtown in Santa Fe, and I went into a coffee shop, and I ran across an art dealer I knew in there. And I'd known that uh, UFOs were a favorite topic of his, anyway, because he grew up in the Panhandle, Texas Panhandle, along, and there was a couple other people stand, sitting there. They'd just gotten back from the Scottsdale Market, where they were selling art over there, and uh, I sat down and I said, uh, uh, "How you doing?" And they said they'd just gotten back from the Scottsdale Market, and I said, uh, "I said, well, uh, you know, my father was over just uh, was over at the Scottsdale Market." And uh, this was only a couple of days after the guy threatened me. Uh, so after my father had rather tried to suppress me, uh, and I said, my father just got back from the, from the market, and they asked me, well, well what's his name? And I said, uh, Raymond Lyon and uh, my mother. And he says, well, uh, wasn't that who we saw so-and-so talking to? And the so-and-so was the guy identifying the book as the MIB. Well, this, is, this guy's talking to my father and mother over in Arizona. Uh, now, he, I, my father never said anything about knowing this guy, who, whom, whom I'd known for a few years, and the guy never said anything about knowing my father. So I knew that he'd talked to my father before my father came over and tried to shut me up. So then I told another girlfriend 
about this incident, but I didn't tell her not to tell the friend. Unfortunately, she told the friend. The friend thought that my father had revealed to me that this guy had intimidated him. So then my mother and father lost their business, which was, uh, it was about nine or ten states that they were market builders for six manufacturers in Dallas and a couple of more from the West Coast. So their business, they were out of the business. That was it. So they evidently had enough power to get my father and mother fired for disobeying, he thought, by telling me that that they'd been threatened by this OSI guy, Office of Scientific Intelligence. That's who the guy works for, and that's the, the branch of the CIA that these MIBs work for. Men in black. Men in black. They're just nothing more than people, and they they even have... they. They fake all kinds of mystical stuff and parapsychology. It's all stuff that we inherited from the Nazis because at the end of World War II, the OSS, uh, Office of, uh, I mean, yeah, the Office of uh, Strategic Services, took in this, this Nazi intelligence network. The Galen uh, organization, wasn't uh, it? Yeah, it, it was called APSIX RSHA. Uh, and. Uh, that was uh, that was the SS group that was in charge of flying saucers, and uh, and the disinformation program run by the Germans, and it was all tied into all this mysticism that surrounded uh, Hitler and and Anunerbi and all this other stuff, and uh, it empl- and it was uh, you know it, it spread this stuff that was started by the father of parapsychology, Hitler's uh, guru, who was uh, uh, Horbiger. Uh, Hans Horbiger. So the bottom line of your argument, Bill Lynn, we're speaking here to Bill Lynn from Santa Fe, New Mexico, Lamy, New Mexico. And if you want to ask Bill any questions, it's 822-2487, phone here to CITR, and we can relay your question to Bill. Your bottom line is that UFOs are man-made, and they were initially invented by Tesla. Who is Tesla, and what did his inventions do to world leaders? Well, Nikola Tesla... Uh, was born in Yugoslavia and he immigrated to this country. He already had a great number of discoveries behind him when he arrived in America about 1883. And but the only thing that he had on his person, because all his other all his other effects were stolen, was a set of plans for an electric flying machine, which he'd conceived while in technical school in Graz, Austria, as a young man. And he had conceived this idea of a flying machine, which would be electrically powered. And he stated at one point that everything that he'd invented was nothing was was all for this electrical flying machine. So that means all of of, of Tesla's patents, which we know of at least 150 or so, 144 that we know about, a number of other, others are secreted away by the government. But all of these patents were related to, to his flying saucer. Now the first thing that important that he came up with was called the Tesla coil in high frequency. He put out high frequency currents. And, of course, alternating current and revolving magnetic field, which is all related to this, this flying saucer propulsion system he was trying to, trying to work out. And he was basing it on Faraday's and Maxwell's work, basically, and Lawrence. Uh, the idea that uh, the electro, electromagnetic attractive force, I mean, the electromagnetic reaction is 10 to the 40th power times two stronger than the gravitational reaction. And that's huge. That's a that's hundreds and uh, that's thousands of zillions times stronger than the gravity force. So his idea was to use electricity to take advantage of this force and use it for uh, uh, space propulsion. 
and and uh, so he invented all these things like the Tesla coil uh, to to make this electrical force which would propel the saucer and he did a number of tests taking metal plates and subjecting them to high frequency high voltage discharges and and uh, uh, until he could work out the, the using different tuning on the coil and so forth to work out the method to make to make this propel using the ether. The ether is this is this stuff that's in space. It's it's according to the uh, uh, the two the two theories or the main the main proponents of this stationary quiescent ether, uh, a solid state electrical ether is what uh, Faraday called it. Uh, it's carried along by the earth and it's and it's dense. Uh, we don't realize how dense it is because we're so un we're so we're so uh, uh, sparse ourselves. Our own material that we're made out of is sparse in comparison to this ether, which fills space, but it's invisible because of the frequency level. It's so ultrafine that its frequency is invisible to us. But uh, this this ether can be pulled on with electrical force, and it, if you get the right voltage and the right frequency sufficiently high. Uh, then you can pull and propel yourself through this ether by propelling the ether through you. It'll pass right through you. It'll pass through a, a flying saucer without disturbing anything. You just basically you you, you crank up this high voltage, high frequency uh, a propulsion system, and it just basically jets through this ether. And uh, and that's uh, that's the way the flying saucer works. <laughs> and uh, the electrical, all of the phenomenon. A phenomena which are reported about flying saucers are consistent with this: the the, the glowing and the light effects and so forth. Um, and um, the the way that they behave in, indicates that they uh, they control uh, gravity, inertia, and momentum, instantly switching it uh, in any direction, so that there's no there's no centrifugal force to deal with, there's no inertia, and there's no momentum as a problem. You can actually create momentum instantly with electricity. And so, and you can all repolarize it. You can turn 90-degree corners without any problem. And uh, so that's the way this thing works. Now, Tesla invented this stuff and tested it. By 1915, he was already building flying saucers, and by 1917, he'd invented a uh, device, uh, uh, in, the, in conjunction with uh, Elmer Sperry of Sperry Gyroscope Company, he had come up with a device to control it. And, uh, in other words, to navigate because the high electrical discharges around the saucer made it impossible to use a normal compass. So you had to have something else like a celestial guidance system or an inertial guidance system. So what you have is a gyro compass mounted on gimbals, which indicates direction, and then you have another device on that which is uh, which keys into that and tells you which direction you're going, and you can control your your direction that way without a compass. And the, the gyro compass uh, uses uh, angular momentum to to create a uh, a fixed direction, so that no matter which way the ship turns, the gyro compass stays in a constant direction and gives you an indication of what direction you're going or want to go. Uh, now the um, the, the, this type of device I found at a salvage yard in uh, in 1979, and it turned out to be after I bought it, the security people at uh, Sandia Base learned that I had it. Uh, it's called a Peiltochter Kompass in German, which means a polar slave compass. Now that that the slave part is the part that 
that indicates the direction you want to go, and the, and the master compass is the gyro compass. So this thing has a manufacturing numbers on it and shows that it was made in Germany by list in 1943. On October the, October the 1st, 1943, this thing uh, came off of a production line, which means that they had flying saucers at that time, which were electrogravitic. Uh, because you only need this to get around the problem of electrostatics. Now, subsequently, they adapted this to rockets, but the type that I have came off flying saucer because it shows the peripheral uh, directions uh, on it. It's mounted horizontally so that uh, you have a 360-degree peripheral navigational system, and only a flying saucer would would navigate that way. So you believe, or you know, you believe that Tesla, or you know that Tesla built a UFO, and he had these st plans stolen, or his invention <laughs> yeah. stolen from him. Why did people want to steal it from him? Perhaps you could go into a bit about the Bilderberg Group or the Trilateral Commission. Well, uh, I stumbled across more information here in New Mexico. I ran across an old man who was selling a work box at a flea market, and the old man had worked in this project at Los Alamos in 1937. And, and the workbox had, he, he'd carved the workbox in New, New Mexico folk art style. Uh, he'd carved on the box the, the, the highway going to Los, uh, to Los Alamos from where he lived in Pewaukee. He put a big Zia sign around, uh, a big sun sign around Pewaukee, where he was from. And he'd worked in Los Alamos, and this thing was called P2, small P, large 2. Well, that P2... Uh, designation is repeated on the German pile doctor compass, which is called KT, large K, large T, dash P2. So there's, there shows the connection between this project and that, and, that, uh, and that project at Los Alamos, between the project at Los Alamos and the pile doctor compass. Now, I discovered from my friend Peter Van Dresser that Von Braun had come to New Mexico in 1937 and had worked in Los Alamos at that time, and the old man confirmed that. That he that that this German guy uh, von Braun had run this project, and von Braun came to New Mexico after he'd have been a, been appointed by Hitler to run this project at Peinemundi, uh, and he'd come over here uh, in absentia. He was still the director of that project for the Nazis. Came over here in '37 and '38 and worked with Doctor uh, uh, Goddard, Robert Goddard, who had a uh, rocket. Uh, Laboratory down in um, actually Mescalero, just outside Roswell, near Roswell, and he had a, a launching area in Eaton Valley, which is near that. And uh, so von Braun had come over here to to pick Goddard's mind. Uh, the first person to come over here was Willie Lay, who was part of the the German rocket project. But Lay stayed on, married a Russian ballerina, and became an American citizen and it actually worked for the government during the war of fighting the Nazis. So Lay was a brilliant rocket engineer and, and a lot of other things, and a poet and a lot of other stuff, and he just fled the Nazis and, and stayed over here, where he's probably sent over here as a spy. That's probably how he got out of there, and the Smithsonian paid their way, paid Von Braun's way. Von Braun came over here, worked with Goddard, and went back and shot 3,600 rockets into England and Antwerp. Then he was immediately hired... Uh, and, and incidentally, the symbol for that project at Los Alamos in 1937 was a triangle with a dot in the middle, which was the, the trilateral symbol. So um, immediately at the end of the war, 
under this Operation Paperclip and this Galen organization, Von Brown was immediately brought over here to uh, again uh, and was, was put in charge of U.S. Army Ordnance Missile uh, Guided Missile Center in uh, Fort Bliss where he worked on rockets and he worked in, on flying saucers that were being tested at White Sands, Fort Bliss, and uh, over in Alamogordo. What exactly happened in 1923? We're just trying to get to the bottom of this investigation here. Well, with, in 1923, at, at the end of the First World War, uh, the Council on Foreign Relations, uh, the American version was called the CFR, and the, the British version was called the IAA, Institute of uh, International Affairs. Uh, this was something conceived by uh, Cecil Rhodes to set up a... Uh, um, uh, they came together at, at Versailles and during the Versailles negotiations and formed a, a, uh, a unified group to work for a, a British-American world uh, imperialism. And uh, the first thing they did was uh, they drafted a resolution. Uh, Hans Morgenthau Sr. drafted a resolution called Morgenthau's Pastoral Policy, which advocated the, dis the extermination of all the Germans because they were an inher inherently warlike race. Under the Treaty of Versailles, they were going to exterminate the Germans and reduce Germany to a pasture land. And that was called Morgenthau's Pastoral Policy. And I'd heard about this, and I had thought that it was a hoax or a uh, fabrication. But in 1969, I believe it was, I was made privy to the actual document, which was in Lyndon Johnson's collection of documents that he'd inherited through various people, through uh, FDR. It had come from Woodrow Wilson's uh, uh, administration, and it was the actual document. And I saw the document, so I know it's true, and the document's in Austin, Texas, at the at the uh, uh, Lyndon Johnson School of Public Affairs and their files in that uh, in that uh, archive there, and uh, Sid, Sid W. Richardson Research Center. Um, and uh, so the document actually existed. Now, having failed to exterminate the Germans under the Treaty of Versailles, uh, then they went, uh, they, they backed the Why SS. did anybody want to exterminate the Germans? Was this just to get money, to get rich? It was to get the Germans out of the way because they were industrially powerful. And uh, the British and Americans could see that the competition from the Germans was... Uh, was very intense in that area, so they wanted to get Germany out of the way so they'd have a clear shot at world domination. And uh, the Germans made such good things, good cars, good knives, good this, good that. Uh, the idea was to get them out of the way, and they also financed the Russian Revolution, so the idea is to get the Russians out of the picture, too, and then they could they'd have a clear shot at, at having the most sophisticated system to, uh, to control the world. And it sounds like some sort of scheme cooked up by Pinky and the Brain, you know. But uh, uh, the uh, the whole thing was uh, that uh, they they wanted to get the Germans out of the way, and also it was a population thing, you know, population control. They take this excuse and just wipe out a whole uh, a whole uh, uh, civilization. And uh, of course, I'm sure that a lot of people found out about that. But I don't even think that Hitler knew about this thing specifically. I don't think he had documentation on it. It was kept under wraps, uh, so that uh, you know he he had he made allegations that the uh, that the Zionists were trying to wipe out the Germans, you know. But I don't think he knew that the British and the Americans had tried to exterminate the Germans. So evidently, he didn't know about this. So I don't know why, but he should have. But. Uh, 
maybe he was part of it. That's the way I see it, is Hitler was part of that scheme to get rid of the Germans. And so that's the reason the Nazis were financed and put into business, because it would give the world an excuse to, to wipe them out with another war. And so Hitler was put into charge, put in charge in 1923, was chosen by Rockefeller's public relations man as the, as the guy to, to, uh, to uh, lead uh, Germany into uh, a horrible war. And uh, after which the new world order was to come into uh, existence. So, in other words, in 1945, with the birth of the United Nations, that was to be the new world order, and that's what they referred to it as too. And uh, so they conceived this back in the at the end of the First World War, and they'd been moving toward it all that time. So uh, the whole thing with the Nazis was to give the world an excuse to wipe out the Germans, and so. And people would get rich? Yeah, and everybody get rich. Well, see, the Germans made a big bit. There was a bank. The banks in uh, Hesse Kassel, uh, House of Hesse Kassel, had always gotten rich off, off of mercenaries from Germany. They just farm out their citizens as soldiers all over the place and make huge fortunes selling these soldiers to people. So they were just basically turning the Germans into a bunch of war uh, mongers. In other words, the whole thing of Germany getting militaristic in the first place was a, was a result of uh, being exploited by so the bankers. Did, did Germany have an atom bomb and UFOs during World War II? Well, they had they had a neutron bombs. I think they uh, see the thing I heard always heard, and Philip Wiley documents this. Uh, you know, in Generation of Vipers, this was written back in the fifties. Uh, he documents the fact that the that the Germ that the the bomb they built at Los Alamos was designed in Germany in 1931, right after uh, Lisa Meitner split the atom in a, in a German uh, a chemistry, a physical chemistry lab. And uh, they got the idea to build a bomb, and they designed that. But I suppose what happened was they just sidestepped the atom bomb and built the neutron bomb because they tested it on North in North Africa. Uh, when Rommel went down there, that was the whole purpose of his uh, group going down there was to test the neutron bomb. And they test that, tested that and a number of other weapons while they were down there. And they had a post. I saw a postcard that was that was uh, acquired by uh, a friend who was in charge of the POW camp of the prisoners from uh, from Rommel's Africa Corps. They were kept in Roswell, and uh, he had a postcard showing the neutron bomb exploding over a superimposed photograph of New York City. So there were two. There were two photographs that were cut in two and 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 uh, put together to make this uh, postcard. So Hitler was chosen to lead Germany to defeat. Yeah. How come he didn't rebel, you know, with these weapons that he had, if he had UFOs and such, and just, you know, continue on with the power of Germany? How come he didn't well, go crazy? I don't know, except that there's just no explanation for why he didn't bomb Britain, for example. That's just one thing, why he didn't. Uh, uh, and and he, they actually surrounded the United States with 24 submarines carrying uh, uh, missiles that could be fired from underwater uh, and uh, having neutron bomb warheads and celestial guidance systems on them. So they were ICBM missiles. They could be fired from underwater in these submarines. They'd surrounded the United States, and when, when, when the all of that big scene was coming down in Germany in the, in the bunker. That was nothing but a great big act to cover up for what was really going on, which was the German and Germans were surrounding America, and they worked out a secret agreement 
I call it the trilateral contract, uh, Germany, England, and America, uh, in which certain things were stipulated, uh, that America would get all the technology and scientists and and uh, the flying saucers and Hitler and Ava Brown and Martin Boromon and all kinds of other people could uh, would get safe conduct and amnesty and new identities in South America or whatever. And they actually did this. Those those Nazis that went to South America would, went down there with new identities provided by the uh, U.S. Army uh, Corps, a counterintelligence corps. So Hitler did not die in a bunker, and you, in fact, Bill Lynn, yes, met yes. him and almost sold art him. to him? I didn't meet him. He came and he looked at a painting. And What uh, year was this? What year did you meet Hitler? 1967 at Hemisphere. He came as a guest probably of LBJ, but he had relatives in the, the area south of San Antonio, actually, actually between uh, San Antonio and Austin, in that area, he had relatives in Fredericksburg. He had an old uncle there that uh, who told my uncle, "Ach, that Adolf always was a troublemaker." And uh, so he had these relatives down there. He may have been visiting them too, but LBJ probably invited him over. And uh, but he was a guest at Hemisphere, and, and he was walking along the River Walk with his security agents who were who were checking out the crowd, and they were trying to look uh, inconspicuous. Well, did he have disguise? Did he shave his mustache? <laughs> he had no mustache. It looked like he'd had some plastic surgery. Uh, but you could you could identify him. You know, he, he walked with a lamp. He was wearing a mustard-colored suit, which is kind of unusual. That was one of his favorite colors. Kind of a, 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 raw, uh, a raw sienna color. A uh, light raw sienna color. And he was walking with a lamp, had on those same black shoes and those short short trousers. He always wore his trousers too short. And he was walking with a lamp, and he was dragging his right arm, too. And he had this woman with dancer's legs with him with red hair. And uh, so my friend who was sitting next to me, Bob, he immediately spotted him. I didn't say a word. Bob knew who it was. I knew who it was. And he came up and picked up this painting, and they looked up, and he saw that I was. we were staring at him. And his security agents got nervous and fanned him, uh, told him to put the painting down, you know, and he puts the painting down, and they get out of there. So they had these security agents who were coming out, and they came ahead of him, checked everybody out, you know, and then after he left, they checked everybody out again. And, and, and uh, so it was pretty obvious, you know. That uh, that this was a security team. They, I asked one of them uh, what he did, and he said he was an engineer. And I asked him where he was from, and he said Castle. So uh, that made perfect sense because uh, Hesse Castle is where uh, the banks, the big German banks, were. You know, and that would be a perfect place for them to to live. A nice, it's a nice resort, almost resort type of area. And uh, so <laughs> that's where they probably spent their last of their days was in that area. And uh, so uh, then uh, this all was consistent with this whole thing that I'd heard about. And uh, uh, another person whom I'd met had had access to all these papers that were in LBJ's possession that related to this secret agreement. And uh, so there was, an, a, there was a stalemate and a secret agreement made that, uh, that is 
different from what we're told about, what they call an unconditional surrender, which was just a sham. Weren't any word Leo... We, the Russians knew about it, I think, because they were really upset. What? Yeah, weren't any word le- world leaders upset that, you know, Hitler was still around? How come nobody wanted to do anything? Didn't Eisenhower give a warning? Uh, yeah. Uh, see, the way I look at it, the CIA came into existence when this Nazi group was taken in by the OSS. They were they were highly impressed by the by the uh, intelligence library and all the documents and and everything that the Germans had on Russia. They had a complete set of you know photographs, aerial photographs, maps, area studies, ethnics, uh, racial studies, language, you name it. They had the, the works on Russia. Uh, and that became our modern intelligence, what they call intelligence libraries, which are, have all this material in it. So, for instance, when I was in the Strategic Air Command, we had all this stuff, and you could tell that it wasn't something that America had assembled. Uh, you could look at the documents and tell that they had been, you know, that numbers had been taken off, new numbers put on, and so forth and so on. And they were older photographs, and uh, and what what they would do is, let's say that. Uh, that we had a war and somebody was going into a certain part of Russia, well, they would load this library into a uh, into mobility boxes and would take it into that area so that the library would be there with uh, the army, which is how the Germans did it. So they have instant access to references on that area, you see. So Hitler got off World War II, and all the things have to do with Tesla inventing that UFO back in the early 1900s. So every time you hear UFOs in the news, they're not really UFOs. They're not aliens. They're actually man-made things. To what extent does the government go to cover this up? Like, for instance, a lot of people are going to talk about the Roswell incident. It's been in the news lately because that guy Dave Grohl from Nirvana now has a band called the Foo Fighters, and they're on the Roswell label. Perhaps maybe you could explain a bit about, I love the word perhaps, the Roswell well, incident and how that's fake. About the, what, what's this guy you were just mentioning? Uh, Dave Grohl. He's in a rock and roll band called the Foo Fighters, and he's on the Roswell record label. There's even a record label oh, out of Roswell. Oh, Foo Fighters, yeah. Well, uh, he's, made, yeah, he's called his band the Foo Fighters as well. That's interesting. Because a lot of people, they read stuff on, they see stuff on TV and they go, wow, UFOs are real. You're saying UFOs are real, but men, you know, they're man-made creations. Well, yeah, I saw a gun camera, a gun camera film made by 8th Air Force when I was in Air Force Intelligence. And, and some of the people that were watching those films with me were people who were on those bombers at that time when those, when those photos were made. And uh, they were made over Germany, northern Germany, when they were on bombing raids. And uh, these these uh, ships would fly around the bombers so fast. There were also some uh, uh, Messerschmitt 263s, which were uh, rocket-powered aircraft. They were interspersed with these Foo Fighters, but they were much slower. They were only going 500 miles an hour, and the Foo Fighters were going uh, probably at least a thousand or more. Uh, they were they were circling around the bombers in a in a helical path as the bombers flew along. These Foo Fighters were circling uh, around them. Well, I wasn't specifically and, wondering about Foo Fighters. I was just wondering, Bill. We're talking here to Bill Lynn, who believes UFOs, who knows that UFOs are real. I was wondering, how has the government gone to cover up stuff? You talk about the men in black, you know, coming down, getting mad at you because you're exposing this. To what extent is stuff faked? In other words, the Roswell cattle mutilation. Well, they faked everything. Uh, they have faked uh, the saucers. Uh, they have uh, come up with this whole 
bunch of baloney about aliens. The original Roswell hoax was perpetrated by a group of intelligence guys down in uh, probably in in Alamogordo, and they perpetrated it over at uh, the Roswell base, which was later called Walker Field. And Walker was not a flying saucer base per se. It was an old atomic bomb wing there. And over in, in Alamogordo, that's where the the Nazi scientists were assigned. And uh, along with uh, being in White Sands and also Sandia, Monsanto, various other bases, Los Alamos, and so forth. But uh, early, right after the war, this stuff was all coming into existence. And uh, But the the these these intelligence guys decided that since people were seeing so many flying saucers, see, after the war, they brought all that stuff over here to New Mexico. They brought some of it to Wright Pat, but they brought most of it to New Mexico. This is where most of it was brought, regardless of what anybody else says. This is where they brought it, and they brought uh, the largest number of uh, rocket and, and saucer scientists were brought here and distributed around these different bases according to what uh, different the branches of research they were engaged in. And, uh, you see, um, they they perpetrated this hoax by getting these rhesus monkeys, which were used in rocket sled experiments. Later on, they switched to chimps because they're a lot easier to work with. But they were using these rhesus monkeys, and they had little G-suits made for them. And they so they had these little little G-suits made for these rhesus monkeys, and, and they also had helmets with oxygen equipment on them and a whole works. And they would put them on this rocket sled and to test for how much acceleration. They were trying to determine how much acceleration a human could stand. And so they had three of these dead monkeys and one almost dead, and they used them in this hoax. They made a fake little flying saucer. They couldn't use a real one because that would be a violation of security, so they made a fake one out of aluminum and, and sheet metal and, and stock aluminum and a little uh, a little canopy. And they they then photographed these and then they sent the photographs out with the news of the of this uh, of this crash. Then they fabricated a, a, fa- a crash and uh, and went out and you know went through the routine of uh, supposedly finding these uh, this spaceship, except the spaceship didn't have any dents on it or anything and it was not, it was twelve feet in diameter. The photographs don't exist anymore. I had two of the original photographs that were given to me by a newsman who'd found them in an old newspaper office down in uh, Lovington. But immediately after this this incident, the Pentagon immediately came in. They were flipped out because evidently they hadn't cleared this hoax through the Pentagon. The Pentagon flipped flipped out because it was amateurish. Anyone could have could have taken those photographs and determined that they were monkeys and the spaceship was silly. It was all silly. It had so many holes in the in the thing. It wasn't funny. The hoax was full of holes. And so they immediately retrieved all those photographs. They'd sent them out to all the area newspapers in, in the southwestern region right around Roswell. And uh, uh, the uh, photographs that, that I had, one of them showed the, the monkeys in the G-suits and the other one in uh, ghastly-looking pictures because these dead monkeys really looked horrible. But that's where the whole alien idea, the, the way the aliens looked comes from, is from those rhesus monkeys because they had to shave them 
to make the G-suits work. The G-suits worked on pressure. They had uh, they had tubes that ran around the back and down the arms and down the legs that had lacings around them, and those tubes would then uh, fill up full of air when the when the stress was applied to the body from acceleration, and the stress would then uh, the pressure from those tubes would tighten all those cords and tighten the suit around the body and force the blood back up to the head so that the pallet wouldn't lose consciousness. And so they looked like little space suits, and, uh, and it was corny because you, you could, if you'd seen a G-suit, you'd know that's what it was. See, But at that time, these things were probably uh, considered uh, classified. But it was a dumb hoax. So the How come they said, want to have a hoax? How come uh, they, you know, why they can't wanted they... to make people think the flying saucers that everyone in their area was seeing, because everyone was seeing them, they wanted to make everyone think these were from outer space. And why is that? They want to use that for intimidation? Like William Cooper believes on July 5th, 1998, there's going to be an invasion, and all these UFOs are going to come down, we're going to look for leaders, and we're going to turn to Masonic orders and Illuminati for the leaders. Oh, I think that's a crock. Uh, all of these, it's no different than those uh, fundamentalist uh, revival ministers that always say that on a certain day the world's coming to an end, you know? I mean, it's uh, it's about the same caliber. But why don't uh, we just find out about these UFOs? Why do, they have to, why do they have to have this threat of aliens coming down? What are they going to use this for? They don't want for? us to have them because the energy... The energy and transportation secrets, and it will destroy the destroy the whole new world order if we get these things. It'll destroy uh, the power which governments exert over people in dictatorships. So and that's saying, what they're trying. What they are trying to do is pass a bunch of laws to turn us into a dictatorship. So you're saying Roswell was faked? How about cattle mutilations and all those people that claim they have like tattoos in them from aliens? How have those been faked? Uh, well, some of these things are real abductions. They, they put on the, they've got teams of people that put on this, these shows for people. They, they basically drug them and take them, and then they expose them to all these people with these little uh, uh, equipment. They, they wear all this stuff. They've got all this stuff now down based on those original Roswell monkeys is what the original look is. They get, they've even got children mixed up in these things. Uh, they uh, dress women and children and, and, and midgets up in small, these little small alien suits and, and uh, do this routine. But they're doing, uh, they do medical research on people, and they also want to create the impression that the aliens are coming down here because that's the way they conceal the flying saucer. That's the way the Nazis did it, too. They didn't, I don't know about the abduction issue, but the idea of the aliens was spread by the Nazis in a whispering campaign. And uh, the idea is to keep the public from getting this secret. The Nazis also had some uh, uh, disinformational projects that were aerodynamic to make people think flying saucers worked on aerodynamics. They wanted to conceal this because the Trilateral Commission, actually, and the Illuminati, has always been in control of this, uh, this secret. And uh, so the idea is to make everybody think, uh, if, if they do believe in flying saucers, make them think they're from outer space or they're based on some the wrong technology or they're based on some technology that's so, that's so difficult that no one could ever duplicate it. So, uh, or based on alien technology. Uh, and they've got all these lies. I call them the big lies, and it's part of the big lie tactics that the, the Nazis developed in their mass psychology program. Cattle mutilation? Any comment on that at all, Bill? And you are you know, Bill. Cattle, in. Yeah, the ca- cattle mutilations are basically they're testing stealth weapons on cattle. And the reason they use cattle is because uh, they would ha- if they kill the animals, they have to dispose of the carcasses. And this, this they is not aliens. This is the no, CIA. Right. It's OSI, basically. And they fly around, and they, these are saucer weapons. 
So what they want is a weapon they can kill anybody they want to with these weapons, but nobody will ever know they were murdered. In other words, uh, they can shoot you with a beam. They can come to your house at night, shoot you with this beam. You die of, of something like pneumonia, uh, hantavirus, uh, AIDS, or uh, ter a terminal pneumonia, and it's because all of your immune cells and your and your uh, your oncogenes have been destroyed by this beam, and so that's what they're testing on these cattle. The solution uh, for this is to build your own UFO, and you actually have plans for that in your book, Bill. Perhaps you can give an address where people can contact you or phone you. All you've got to do is uh, is my address is Lamy, New Mexico. Bill Line, L-Y-N-E, Lamy, L-A-M-Y, New Mexico, 87540. And that's that's all the address you really need. And uh, the book's twenty four ninety five right now. I'm, I'm going to have a revised edition that will sell for just under $18. Uh, I'm coming down on the price uh, so I can get more books out there. And in your and, book, you tell how to make a UFO. Uh, yes, I have some plans, and I have heard, I haven't seen these, I haven't witnessed these myself, but I have been told by reliable witnesses that this, this, this idea works. You should say flying saucer, and this is all based on a Tesla principle. And also joining us right now, we have A.O. Chapman here from CITR. A.O., are you there? I am here. How yeah. are you doing? A.O. Oh, you've got somebody calling? Yeah, we have A.O. in the studio. A.O., you have a question for Bill Lynn at all. Yeah, I was going to get back to the men in black, uh, Bill, if, if, if possible. I was going to ask you... Uh, in some of the stuff that I've read about you, you believe that they... Actually, A.O., can you move to the other... Can you grab the other mic for a second? Oh, is it... Oh, I can hear yeah. him. Oh, okay, there we go. Um, how about the Men in Black? Uh, I was going to ask you, it's your belief that the, the Men in Black are actually... They've, they're actually OSI agents yes. that have gone through some kind of plastic surgery to make them yeah. look... Make them look Mongo. They, they have... This guy that I know had this. I could see right away that he had surgery on his eyes. You know, he's no more, uh, you know, he's no more Asian than the man in the moon, but he had this operation that makes his eyes look strange so that when he puts on his gear, when he was a younger man, put on his gear and go out and intimidate somebody, they're going to think he's uh, from somewhere else, you know. Right, and and, and he uh, personally intimidated you? Is, is that Yeah, true? yeah, I couldn't believe it because I could probably punch a guy out with one punch, but, you know, they've got power behind them. They've got government agents and everybody else, but the guy was... Uh, was actually uh, uh, threatening me. Right. Because and you were going to write this book that's saying UFOs are real or flying saucers are real. Yeah. And now that the book is out, uh, have you continued to get uh, threats? or, or mm -hmm. Well, it kind of removes the motive, you know, because right. uh, the whole idea is to shut this guy up, but now the word's out, you know. Mm -hmm. So so at this point, they've got to shut up a lot more people. Right. And, and, uh, and, now, and now that the book is out and, 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 and people are checking it out and you're, you're getting out and speaking about it and stuff, You've been blackballed, haven't you? Uh, oh, yeah. Well, I'd, I'd lived in abject poverty. I mean, I was just, uh, everything that I tried to do to, uh, to to rise out of my circumstances was shut off. They would they would create traps for me, and uh, they would get me into real estate deals, and, then end up in, in, and I'd end up in court for five or six, seven years. And then I, I realized that the same people were setting all these things up, that they were manipulating all of these uh, real estate deals. First, they tried to give, give me some over a million dollars worth of real estate. And I refused it because I suspected there was something wrong with it. I couldn't figure out. I found some, uh, I was assessed taxes on a piece of real estate that was worth over, it's worth over a million dollars right now. 
And so I went down to the assessor's office, and it took me four days to get them to remove it from my uh, uh, as my property. And it was signed by uh, three uh, uh, prominent New Mexicans. Bill, we mentioned we mentioned uh, uh, William Cooper before, who has a book out and talks about you broke some similar. It, William Cooper in his town, didn't you, A.O. Chapman? I, I did. I did. I, I introduced uh, William Cooper to his town, and I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not an enthusiast or, or uh, an acolyte of, of Cooper's work. But I mean, we we talked about him briefly before, and and I'm curious if you have any opinions about his uh, his information in his books and stuff. Well, uh, the first thing that I brought up to him when I met him, I said, well, you know what? He was saying this thing about the aliens. I said, uh, you know, that's a bunch of baloney. You know, there's no right. aliens. And now he switched to this. He's now saying this. He got a copy of my book the minute it was off the press. Now he's saying that they're exclusively man-made. So I applaud him going along with that. But right. I, would, I would appreciate him giving me credit right. for having uh, pointed this out. Right. But uh, uh, this... Um, uh, you know, he's got a lot of interesting information in his book on the CFR, especially. Right. Uh, but I've seen this material before. This goes, I saw this material, you know, back in 60, 1960, 61. I saw this material because the Birch Society had the same information on the CFR and, uh, and the Bilderbergs. And I had some friends who knew about all this stuff, and they, they told me a lot of stuff about this. They knew a lot about Tesla. Just a second here, Bill. I was wondering, maybe you could tell the listeners this winding up here to Nardwater Human Survey Radio Show. We're talking to Bill Lynn. If you have any questions for Bill Lynn, it's 822-2487-UBCCITR. We relay your question. But what is the Bilderberg Group and the Trilateral Commission, and why would somebody want to do all this stuff? Why would they want to form to get all this and this make-rich scheme, you know, keep Hitler alive, etc.? Why would they want to do this? What are these groups, the Bilderberg and Trilateral? Well, you see, I don't think uh, that anybody wanted particularly to keep Hitler alive so much as Hitler had had uh, the bargaining power. He could have nuked the United States with those missiles. He had these neutron bombs, and they had to agree to these conditions, but also they could acquire all this technology. So in a way, the Germans, the German scientists were nothing more than slaving away on stuff that they didn't even use. The stuff wasn't even used in the war. They had all this research. And it was just used to buy the the amnesty for these uh, these war criminals. Now, bro, I get curious in in this age of uh, conspiracy theories and whatnot, and 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 uh, and so on. Like, how do you, how do you react to people who who listen to you or read articles about you or come across your book and and, and read it? Uh, that just cast you off as as some wacko paranoid in in the middle of New Mexico or like. Well, I'm not I'm not a paranoid person. I if I were, you know, I would uh, be in bad shape. Right. But. Uh, uh, Paranoia is unjustified suspicion. Because saying you met Hitler in 1967, that's going to write off a lot of people, isn't it? Well, I'm not the only one. I've run across other people, prominent people, who've said the same thing. Right. So, uh... To me, your uh, whole to, argument seems credible, but then when I tell people your argument, they say, oh, he met Hitler in 67? Well, look, Or do you wonder how old you are? I'll, to think tell, you, I'll tell you some more people I met, and, and, uh, and, and you're going to disbelieve this, but this has been documented. The people that live across the who lived across the street from me when I was a kid were the descendants of Frank James, okay? In 1947, they had a get-together, and at that get-together, it's just a family get-together for the 4th of July, was Jesse James, Frank James, and Brushy Bill Roberts, also known as Billy the Kid. They were all old men. They were all still alive. They were, all, they, they were practically relatives. To, to tell you the truth, the James family and the and the Roberts family were almost relatives. They came very close to being relatives, and they'd known each other since they were babies. 
And uh, there and then there was an old man also who rode with them in the Lincoln County Wars and Quantrill's Raiders named uh, Mr. Shea, who was a veteran of the Army of Northern Virginia, and he was also at the get-together, and he was the grandfather of this good friend of mine, uh, Thomas Mulkey. And uh, so here were all these guys who were all, uh, except Mr. Shea, he was the only one that was still supposed to be still alive. The other three were supposed to be, uh, the, two of the other three were supposed to be dead because Frank James was known uh, to, to have lived out his life in Valley Mills, Texas, where he ran an antique business. And uh, so here were these people who are all supposed to be dead. Well, that's the same thing with Hitler. Uh, these guys got amnesty because they knew something on somebody important. Right. And uh, the the James brothers had incriminating evidence. And you met them. And you met. And you met. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Just when, when I was a little kid. You were a little kid, and, and you went out next door, and you met Frank and Jesse James. And, and yeah. And and the the kids in the family got whippings for written. telling me too much. Really? And I, I never told anybody until, you know, after all these people were dead. I, I, never, I never revealed that secret. So what is this but, trilateral corporate commission and Bilderberg group? It's this group of people that want to have this weird new world order that really was sent to place in 1923. What are those groups? I keep asking this question, Bill. Well, they're basically, uh, if you trace back, you know, there are different trains of thought on it. Some people believe that they go all the way back to Babylon, you know, and, and before uh, some people believe that they started in uh, in 1776 with Adam Weishaupt's uh, uh, renewal of the uh, Illuminati, uh, which had actually started as the Order of, Order of Devoted back in Iran uh, by Hassan Isabah. And uh, but I trace I trace this murder cult stuff back to Tibet, but uh, I trace the the actual Illuminati. Uh, is which is connected to that. Uh, to uh, I think there's some justification that it goes all the way back to the ancient Egyptians and and possibly even uh, Sumerians. Who's right. in on it right now? Clinton, Yeltsin. Who's in on this? Uh, well, Clinton's a member of the Trilateral Commission. I think the Trilateral Commission, as we know it by that name, came into existence with the New World Order and the Trilateral Contract which is Britain, America, and Germany. That, In other words, instead of a surrender, there was actually a fusion at the end of the war between America and Germany and Britain in this, in this, all this shared technology, which they were actually, they actually, what they'd done is just made slaves out of these scientists. These scientists were just bargained around like so many chips. And, uh, so basically, the, the corporations really got filthy rich off of this stuff and creating this. The, the, the Nazis that were in this security thing churned up the whole Cold War. They basically uh, stirred up this idea that the Russians were going to attack us any minute. And it turned out that this was all a fantasy. Now, Bill, people, uh, maybe it's, it's uh, important maybe to go into this, and, and especially for people who are doing it late, people who don't know. Uh, what kind of educational background do you have? You have you went to the University of Texas, didn't you? And, and yes, got I have your an master's. MFA in painting and sculpture, and I also had an undergraduate degree in uh, in art and industrial engineering, and also had a uh, a year of law school. Right. And and how did your life get work into this uh, uh, knowledge of conspiracy well, theories? Well, I got a, I got a, uh, harassed uh, judicially. I was judicially abused. For 17 years here, uh, starting with that uh, original offer, they actually started the harassment 
And the minute George Bush really got into the CIA was in 1974, just before the year came to an end, because he got in there and started uh, learning the ropes. And that's when the harassment started, because they wanted to motivate me to accept that offer. Now, people who have been harassed, like yourself, uh, what, I'm curious to know what kind of advice you would give to somebody, uh, somebody today, somebody, uh, the common person like myself, a student or someone. someone. <laughs> Your advice but, is to build a UFO, isn't it, Bill? Huh? Your advice to save yes, ourselves yes. is to build a UFO yeah. and turn and this also, technology onto them. if you know anything them. important, to tell it to everybody. And right. again, you can build a UFO by writing away for your book, Bill, and your name is Bill Lynn, L-Y-N-E, and perhaps you can give your, I love the word perhaps, 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 you can give your address one more time. Uh, all you have to put is my name in Lamy, New Mexico, 87540. General Delivery. Yeah, you can put general delivery if you want to. Yeah. And a caller phoned in and wondered, are the international tobacco companies and associated with this at all, Bill? Are the what? International tobacco companies. Is there anything associated about the international tobacco companies? In Export this, A. You know, are they associated with this at all? Like who? Tobacco, uh, you know, cigarettes. The cigarette companies. Uh, are they in on this hoax? Who knows? I mean, uh, what, what would that, you mean uh, just... I, I can't make a relationship right off other than if they want to just kill off a bunch of people, you know. Uh, tobacco is very, you know, poisonous stuff. Uh, also, the uh, caller wanted, do you have a favorite movie at all? Uh, well. Uh, you obviously don't like that one movie that came out a few years ago that was a total fake there was there was a movie that I can't even remember the name of that was interesting. It's about cattle mutilations. It had... Uh, uh, it showed a bunch of strange aircraft flying around and so forth and so on, and I can't remember what was it was it, called. Was it a film called Endangered Species with Joe Beth Williams? They did it in the early 80s? That ring it a bell at all? might have been, and it had, uh, what's that singer, that uh, great big uh, guy uh, was in it. I think it might have been. Great big guy. That's, I don't know. There's a big hulking uh, actor who's also a singer Right. Uh, that he might have been in that. Uh -huh. Of course, Rage is pretty good with George Scott and also The Formula uh -huh. with uh, Marlon Brando, oh, Brando and, yeah. and uh, David, uh, uh, shoot, I can't remember his name. He lives in Santa Fe. Uh, anyway, uh, Huddleston, David Huddleston. Caller uh, just phoned in again, Bill. I guess we're running out of time, so we're just pushing some information forward. And the caller was wondering about building a UFO. You got these plans from Tesla. Are these your plans for building a UFO? <laughs> How much does it cost to build a UFO? Well, and I, do you need plutonium? I No. It's strictly electrical. Uh, I got the ideas for my plans based on what I found. Now, for example, they, they had, a, they had a, what's called a stealth plane crashed in 1993. And shortly after, in a matter of days, there was at a salvage place a device which I could e a diesel easily spotted for, for a switching device, which came off of this thing, which they hauled off to a salvage place. And I actually saw a CIA truck carrying this salvage uh, and, and dumping it in different uh, uh, salvage yards. So they had gone to some trouble to try to deface this thing so you couldn't tell what it was, but what was really odd is none of the electrical components were broken. Somebody had taken a sledgehammer to it, but it was burned, and the aircraft was burned, and it was a, a, a 12, it had 12 of these uh, uh, gas-filled tubes on it, which are called power uh, trons, I believe is what they were called, Gen General Electric power trons that uh, operated at 18.5, uh, I believe it was, or 15.5 megavolts, or uh, kilovolts which was a switching device, and it had 12 of these things, just like my design shows. 
and uh, uh, which means that this plane actually had this technology on it. It had this saucer technology on this airplane so that it could hover and go sideways and backwards and everything else, and it just looked like an airplane. In other words, they're building a flying saucer that looks like an airplane, so that's another way to conceal it. How much would it cost to build your UFO, Bill? Uh, I would say that you could probably, if you were a craftsman and knew something about technology and had some pretty good tools, you might be able to put something together for um, as little as a thousand bucks to try. Well, you could do a model for just a matter of a couple of hundred bucks. You could you could test it, uh, starting with something like an. Uh, you could take a neon light transformer and a spark gap, which you could make. You can get the plans from the International Tesla Society on making spark gap transmitters and tuning coils to make the power system to test out on a, on a model, which you could then suspend by strings so that you don't have any. You, the thing you have to watch is you don't want to insulate uh, You don't want to, uh, to ground it out. That's what will keep it from flying. So essentially, Bill, in summary, uh, because I guess we're getting down to the end of the show here, uh, uh, the, the idea... Uh, to protect yourself and, and to be aware that, you know, like there are, within the information out, uh, you've been harassed, other people have been harassed. In short, information is, is the best weapon you can have. Yes. Right. And put it out there. If you've got something important, so if they, somebody can stop you from telling somebody that, and they know that you have this information, then you're in danger. So the best thing to do is put the information out and then the, the motive is removed. There's no more any, there's no longer any reason to wipe you out because your information's already out there. How easy is it to make a UFO? Do you have to have it that shape? You, you said in your book about Germans flying U-boats around that they could pick <laughs> up anything they wanted to. Well, I think they, uh, yeah, I think, they, see, this technology is so powerful, this force is so powerful that they got the idea, of course, they were in, in a tight spot. Uh, they just took, a, instead, of, instead of building something for this, they took an old, uh, just a U-bolt hole, the pressure, what they call a pressure hole, which is the inner, inner part, which is round, cigar-shaped, and, uh, and they just... Uh, put some portholes in the bottom and, and took the generators and battery system and hooked them up to this technology and got and flew the thing around. Now, a friend of mine actually saw one of these things. Uh, he and his daughter were coming from the Albuquerque airport and driving back to Santa Fe one night, and this thing uh, stayed over their car all the way back to Santa Fe, and he could see the rivets and uh, the old rusty iron hull. Uh, and when he looked up to it, and this is a very reasonable person. He's not given to flights fancy or anything like that. But, uh, and he really hadn't told anybody about this except me, you know, and I asked when I asked him about it, uh, and the, the, the idea gelled that when he talked about the rivets and the old iron hull, I put that together with some more information that I had accumulated in 1957-58 about something strange happening with submarines that, uh, that nobody wanted to talk about, and, uh, so uh, I uh, came up with this idea that they were building these, uh, they were using submarine hulls to build these cigar-shaped uh, flying saucers. How about tunneling in Germany, another fascinating aspect of World War II, and in America, tunneling? It's a known fact, and it was known among people whom I knew, and, and, uh, uh, and other people who I've known a number of people who were military people, and you name it, CIA, you name it. It was a known fact that, that Germany was tunneled from one end to the other, that there were interconnected tunnels going all over the uh, country. And after the war, naturally, the United States took in all these people and duplicated the German plan and uh, tunneled America. In other words, uh, 
uh, ostensibly they were building missile silos, but these, this was just a cover for what they were really doing. They built all these Atlas missile silos, and the missile silos had an opening that was over 50 feet in diameter, big enough to get a flying saucer in and out of there. And they would build these tunnels. They'd build one section of tunnel under one contractor, then they'd hire a new contractor to do the next segment and so forth and so on, so that no, no uh, contractor knew more than the part that he worked on. But if you knew a couple of these contractors or people that worked for these contractors, you realized that they had that they had interconnected all these tunnels, and these things were all over the country. And so basically they've got an underground tunnel system that goes all over this country, and it's under the idea of national security. And so they got this whole underground world that we don't even know about because I know that these things existed. They're not going to build those things, and then just nobody gets to use them, you know. Why would they build tunnels like they, and these people that I knew that worked in some of these things uh, just said these tunnels went on forever. Is that what he stored about 15,000 15, Germans after World War II in New Mexico? Yeah, they brought 15,000 to Germany, uh, to, to New Mexico. Now, they brought 116,000 <laughs> Germans. Yeah, they brought, they brought 116 top scientists just with von, Grounds, von Brown's group. Von there was a total of World... over 400 brought to New Mexico, and there was probably 1,500 top scientists uh, brought to America. And that didn't include all the technical uh, security and uh, other military personnel that went along with that, pilots and you name it. So there was a total of 15,000 just in New Mexico, but I can't find that documented anywhere anymore. I heard about it through friends of mine and, and so forth. And Vern Von Braun during World War II was flying to United States of America? Well, not during the war. He came here before the war when he heard that uh, Goddard had uh, flown 7,500 feet with his rockets. He immediately showed up. It wasn't very long. He showed up over here to find out what Goddard was doing that was better than what he was doing because his, his best rocket was only doing 6,000 feet. And your name is Bill Lynn. Thanks for speaking to us on the Nardward Human Serviette radio show here today, Bill Lynn. Really, right. appreci really appreciate that. And I mean, and basically, it's amazing what you're saying. I just cannot believe it. You, know, you found all this information from Tesla, who actually built a UFO. Tesla's information was stolen by the government. A new world order was installed in 1923. Germany was decided that they were, Germany was going to be destroyed by Hitler. Hitler was chosen to lead Germany to defeat. Hitler was still alive after 1945. You saw him in 1967, almost sold some art to him. Roswald was fake. Cattles were fake. UFOs are real. And you have technology to build a UFO. And we can write to you if people are interested at Bill Lynn, your address again? Lamy, New Mexico. General Delivery, Lamy, New Mexico, 87540. Anything you'd like to add to the listeners out there in Radioland? Anything else? Why should people care about all this UFOs are real stuff, Bill? Well, how would it be if you could get up in the morning and go to Peking to have breakfast and then come back before lunch? and all on a couple of dollars worth of fuel. Would that be nice? Be really hip-hop, hooray, ho-ha. <laughs> and that's what they don't want us to do because that's supposed to be for the elite. The elite, they don't want us eating alongside them in Paris. You know, they don't want to have a bunch of ordinary Americans or whoever eating at, at the same restaurants, you know. And that's what it comes down to. And we could all be doing that with flying saucer technology because it doesn't cost anything to fly these things. It's the 10 to the 40th power. If you, you see work is basically force times distance. If the force is stronger, 
which this force is, then you do that much more work in the same amount of time. So with this huge force, you can take a small amount of fuel or whatever you use, batteries or whatever you want to use, and you can do a tremendous amount of, of traveling very cheaply. And is there's there, no tires to wear out. No is more. there such thing as gravity at all? Yeah, gravity is, is probably electrostatic. From my, from my study of it, it's electrostatic uh, because the electrical reaction is so much stronger than, the, than the, what they call the, uh, the gravitational reaction, which is nothing more than a weak electrical reaction. It's weak because there's just a tiny amount of difference in charge between the proton and the electron. The proton has a little bit of excess positive charge, and that's where gravity comes from. If they were equal, there wouldn't be any gravity. Well, thank you very much, Bill Lynn, again. I hope that all the listeners out there in Orlando know the Nardwater Human Serviette Show does not get any cuts into Bill's book, but again, your address. In case people want to build a UFO, for God's sakes, Vancouver, you can build a UFO. You can build a UFO for less than a thousand bucks if you write to Bill right now, and the book is about 30 bucks. What's your address again? Please give your address. You can build a UFO. PD for breakfast. General Delivery, Lamy, New Mexico. 87540. Thanks so much, Bill. Really appreciate your time. Keep on rocking in a free world. It was very nice talking to you, too, Nardwar. All right. And, 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 uh, and uh, have a nice evening, you people out there. All right. Okay. Have a great evening and enjoy this music. Do okay. Do 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 do. <laughs> okay. Bye bye. Bye. Alternatives lifestyle writer. I've written about 20 books. 
on how to uh, live outside of what I call the corporate imperatives. In other words, how to live very cheaply, uh, how, how to not get caught in the rat race. Your name is Bill Casing. Yeah, I've, I've written a number of books. There should be more in the, uh, in the Vancouver Library because uh, the, the books have sold well, and uh, Loom Panics has sold a couple of my books. So for years, Bill, I've heard the rumor that Disney faked the moon landing. I've heard this rumor that Disney faked the moon landing. Now you're here, Mr. Casing, to prove it's true, aren't you? REM saying if you believe they put a man on the moon, you're here to prove it, aren't you, Mr. Casing? I'm here to prove that no man has ever landed on the moon. What's the background for that? There's lots of books on this subject, aren't there? Oh, yeah, there's quite a few, and there, there's more coming all the time. Uh, interestingly, several people have or will produce videotapes uh, based on my material. There's a new book out, NASA Mooned America. Yes, that's by a man named Ralph Rene, who lives in Passaic, New Jersey, and uh, the book is very well done. It's, it's far superior to my book because Rene is a, uh, essentially a self-taught engineer, and he's come up with a lot of important points that uh, I missed completely. Well, your book, We Never Went to the Moon, Bill, was probably the first book to expose a moon hoax, wasn't it? Uh, yes, it was written in 1974 and uh, has essentially been available ever since. He calls the guy, this is Rene, he calls astronauts astronauts, which is yeah. very interesting. That's kind of funny, astronauts. Like, they're not as astronaut. That's very interesting. <laughs> yes, that is true. He, he, has a, he has a good comic sense. Bill Casing, what is the official government line on the moon landings? What's the official government line on the moon landings? You know, can you give your background of your involvement in a space program and what the official government line is about people landing on the moon? Uh, do you want my background? Yeah. Oh, well, I was for seven years head of technical publications for the Rocketdyne Research Department at the Propulsion Field Laboratory in the Simi Hills. That's near Canoga Park, California. And during that time, I had uh, top-secret clearance and AEC, Atomic Energy uh, Commission clearance. And, of course, I was in on all of the, of the top secrets about the development of Mercury and uh, Gemini and, of course, uh, Atlas and eventually Apollo. And my experience as a technical writer led me to believe that uh, a lot of the things that, uh, that the aerospace industry and NASA professed to have done were never done. And they were not as successful as they pretended to be. So that's my background. And then your second question was the government stance. What is the actual government stance on the moon landing, Bill Casings? Okay. The government claims that the reports of astronauts and photographs and some rocks prove that we went to the moon. And my, my feeling is that uh, some photos and some people who have been under military pay or military jurisdiction all their lives and uh, some rocks don't prove a thing. In fact, there is so much contrary evidence to going to the moon, such as solar and cosmic radiation, micrometeorites, the temperature on the moon, 
the fact that uh, the astronauts never reported how magnificent the stars were or they never showed a picture of the crater that should have been uh, dug underneath the lunar lander. It goes on and on. I have hundreds of pieces of information that any really intelligent person uh, could review and then decide for themselves. Well, particularly, Mr. Casing, can you just, like, prove it here with some little points that we actually didn't go to the moon? In your book, you mentioned that there were no stars in the photos that NASA took. That's right, and they had the most marvelous opportunity to take star uh, pictures of, of all the stars in the universe visible from the moon. Uh, I've talked to a number of top-level astronauts, both locally and elsewhere, and they say that the astronauts would have been overwhelmed by the sight of trillions of stars, not to mention Jupiter and Saturn and the other planets and so forth, but not one picture has ever come back from the alleged trip to the moon showing the stars in all their magnificence, nor do any of the astronauts comment on the stars. They completely ignore it. It would be like going to Niagara Falls and talking about the hamburger you ate. Doesn't NASA say that the reason that there were no stars is because their cameras weren't set for the proper exposure? Isn't that their line? That's their line, and that's pure baloney, because I've talked to photographic experts who say that NASA had all the money in the world to have a, a camera that would have taken magnificent pictures uh, of stars. But there's a little problem. You know, the temperature on the moon is 250 degrees Fahrenheit uh, during the lunar day, and uh, a friend of mine put some film in, a, in an oven and ran it up to 250, and the film just curled up. So it's obvious that the pictures that they brought back were not taken on the moon, nor could they have actually taken any pictures on the moon, even if they had gone there. So apparently they faked the moon landing. Now, oh, yeah. So the moon landing has been faked, Bill Casing. If the moon landing was faked, how come they didn't include stars in their studio, apparently in the Nevada desert, where they were faking the moon landing? They could not fake the star uh, maps because uh, there are too many astronomy buffs, and I've talked to a lot of them, they would have measured the angularity uh, between stars and the position of the stars behind, let's say, the Earth. No way, even with the most advanced computers, could they have created star pictures that would have been, uh, let's say, acceptable to the astronomy buffs. So at MIT, where the simulation took place, uh, the planning for it took place, they simply decided to stonewall it and not include any pictures of stars at all. So the moon landing was faked, and you know it was actually faked at MIT. Where was it faked? Somewhere in the Nevada desert? What's the deal on that, Bill Casey? Well, uh, it's said that there's uh, an area near Quebec that looks just like the moon and that the astronauts spent some time up there. Uh, the Nevada desert, uh, I've spent lots of time in the Nevada desert, and it looks a great deal like the moon. But here's, here's the kicker. There's an Air Force base near San Bernardino, California, called Norton Air Force Base. And they have the world's largest sound stages under tremendously uh, efficient if, uh, security. They could have easily created all of the moon sets in those sound stages and filmed to their heart's content. This was in the Nevada desert. Well, this is at Norton Air Force Base in San Bernardino, but they could have done it 
in the Nevada desert in an area called uh, 51, which is the northeast corner of the Atomic Energy Commission base there. They have a lot of UFO stuff going on around era 51, oh, don't yeah. they? Yeah, 51 is a, is a place where you don't want to be found <laughs> at all. All the guards carry submachine guns. And they're, they are told to shoot to kill if, if anybody gets inside the base. So continuing on, Mr. Bill Casing, author of We Never Went to the Moon, to prove that the moon landing was faked, you mentioned there were no stars in the photos that the astronauts brought, brought back. But also you mentioned that it was impossible for the United States of America to actually make it to the moon at that time, that there had been some problems. And you were involved in the program at this time, so you knew about those problems. Oh, yes. One of the major problems, of course, was trying to get things to work in essentially an alien environment. Uh, outer space is no picnic. Uh, you've got the Van Allen belt around the Earth, uh, uh, you know, about uh, 20 miles up. The Van Allen belt would probably have cooked any astronauts that uh, ventured into that area. Then you've got outer space where there are billions of micrometeorites zipping around at speeds up to 60,000 miles per hour, and these would have gone right through the uh, command capsule with the astronauts in it and kept right on going. And these micrometeorites are all different sizes from the head of a pin to, uh, say, the size of a grapefruit and larger. Weren't there actual events, though, that happened to NASA that made them realize they couldn't send somebody to the moon? Like, when did NASA realize that it was impossible for them to send somebody to the moon and they were going to have to fake the moon landing? At what point did they realize this? Well, initially, they realized it in 1959 when I was privy to a study made by the Russians. The Russians discovered that the radiation on the moon would require astronauts to be clothed in four feet of lead to avoid being killed. Uh, NASA picked up on this study and, of course, did some studies of their own. And uh, subsequently, other studies were made about all of the different hazards on the moon, particularly uh, something as benign, you might think, as temperature. Uh, the temperature on the moon during the lunar day is 250 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, trying to keep either the suits or the lunar lander cool during that tremendous heat from an, a blazing sun would have been impossible because they did not have enough air conditioning power. So you're saying 1959, United States of America realized that they couldn't put a man on the moon? No, in 1959. 1959. That's, 59, what I... that's when they got, uh, they got a hold of the Russian studies. See, the Russians never intended to land men on the moon. They concentrated on unmanned vehicles, and the so-called space race was just a lot of baloney. Well, Bill Casing, what I don't understand is if NASA realized they couldn't put a man on the moon in 1959, what about those astronauts that died in 1967 on the launch pad? Did NASA know that those guys were going to die on the launch pad? Were they sacrificed to make the space program more realistic? Uh, I would say that's you're pretty close to that. A fellow by the name of Gus Grissom was very disenchanted with the Apollo program. And he, on the day that he was burned to death, he hung a lemon on the command capsule to let people know what he thought of it. Prior to that, he made many trips to the Rocketdyne Downey plant to examine the equipment, and he realized it wasn't going to work. A few minutes before he was burned to death, he said, Hey, you guys in the control center, get with it. 
you expect me to go to the moon and you can't even maintain telephonic uh, communications over three miles. But my theory about uh, Gus Grissom was that he was about to blow the whistle on the entire project and that he was murdered. Well, if they faked the... What was the... What was the intention of those astronauts? What Apollo mission was that, the ones that the guys died in? Uh, that was Apollo 1. The, uh, that was Apollo 1 on, in 1967? Yes, that it, was supposed... Grissom and Chafee and White, his two companions, were supposed to take off in the fall of, of 1967 and go to the moon. And what did NASA have for that? Like, what was going to be the plan? They were going to actually make it to the moon? That was actually a moon flight? No, not really. What did, like, what did NASA have planned? If NASA was faking the whole moon program, what did the guys in the astronauts, what, were, what was going to happen to them? What was, gonna be, what was their mission? What was, what was NASA trying to achieve there or prove to the public? Well, by simulating a trip to the moon, they could easily then justify the $30 billion that they spent. They intended to get Gus Grissom and Chafee and White to actually lie about their trips to the moon, just like Armstrong and Aldrin and all the other astronauts have lied about their trips to the moon. I call all astronauts who allegedly landed on the moon bald-faced liars, and particularly Alan Shepard. Why is that? Well, Alan Shepard is one of these particularly obnoxious people. After Grissom was uh, murdered, uh, he refused to help uh, Grissom's wife, Betty Grissom, get a settlement from NASA and from North American Aviation, uh, which she held responsible. And Shepard didn't approve of this at all. She sa he said that uh, we should accept the deaths of astronauts and uh, you don't need any money. So, Bill Casing, are you saying, Bill Casing, author of We Never Went to the Moon, and we're speaking here to Bill Casing, author of We Never Went to the Moon, and there was nobody that ever landed on the moon, right, Bill? That is absolutely correct. I will stake my life on it, and I have many, many, many people who will support this view with technical information, including a man who was at the Goldstone tracking station during all of the Apollo flights, and he is absolutely convinced that they were faked. What exactly brought him to this decision? Well, he realized that all of the input to the Goldstone tracking station came from NASA in Washington. Well, that certainly made it convenient for them to fake any communications that they wished. In other words, they were not picking up data from Apollo on its way to or on the moon or on its way back. They were getting communications from NASA Greenbelt in Washington, D.C., which had complete control of all communications. And at this point, I'd like to mention that uh, Walter Cronkite was the father figure that uh, NASA chose to essentially hype the whole project. Uh, Cronkite is, is a rather big liar. Well, he was in on the Kennedy thing, too, wasn't he? He was what? He was in on the Kennedy thing, oh, too. Oh, yeah. He did, he, recently, he did a film uh, that uh, completely disputed uh, the truth about the Kennedy assassination. What I'm still curious about, Bill Casing, is that did NASA kill those astronauts in 1967? Did they kill them on purpose because they knew too much? Did they kill them? Did they mean, or was it actually an accident that happened? No, it was no accident. They murdered them because, you see, I found out, and just recently, that whenever NASA was in trouble, they would call on the CIA. Now, we all know that the CIA has and can 
kill anybody they want without any feeling of conscience whatsoever. So it's my feeling that the CIA was hired by NASA to very adroitly kill Grissom, Chafee, and White. Let's get a bit of a timeline here, Bill Casing. Sure. Okay, you're working here with Rocket Dome? A rocket dyne, it's called, R-O-C-K-E-T-D-Y-N-E. They're, they're still based in uh, Canoga Park, California. And you're working on the space program. I was working on the space program from 1957 to 1963. With probably a lot of ex-Nazis from the Galen organization, I bet. Oh, I met some of them. There were a lot of Nazis, including, of course, Werner von Braun. And an interesting sidelight is after the uh, Apollo project was over, he completely lost interest in space travel, retired, went to work for Grumman, and then he died of cancer. So oh, this also evokes the uh, recollection that after Apollo 11 allegedly returned to Earth, three of the leading NASA investigators resigned without an explanation. Now, this tells you that there were some men of integrity who would, would not go along with this scam. So you're working at the rocket place, developing, working for, the, working for the space program. You eventually leave the space program. At that point, did you know that the moon landings were going to be faked? Because you said in 1959, the United States of America realized they couldn't put a man on the moon, so they'd start faking stuff. Why, you know, why didn't you spill the beans right then? Well, I don't know. Uh, what motivated me to spill the beans was a young man from uh, Vietnam Wars by the name of John Grant, and he said that uh, he was sent to Vietnam to kill people with no good reason. He also got a heroin habit, and he says, Bill, he says, what I want you to do is to blow the whistle on this rotten, corrupt government. And he says, why don't you say something outrageous like we never went to the moon? So I attribute my interest in this project to John Grant. If the moon landings were faked, why did they continue faking the Apollo flights? Like in the movie Apollo 13, it points out that nobody really cared about, you know, the space program at that point. You know, America had make it, made it to the moon. Why continue faking moon landings if they'd already made it to the moon? Well, the, the plan was to have something like eight or ten Apollo flights to the moon, and they had been given the money to build all the vehicles to do it, and they felt obligated to carry on with the, uh, with the uh, simulation. But remember this, by the end of Apollo 12, people in America and possibly elsewhere were completely bored with the project. So what they thought they would do and did was they would create a cliffhanger. And Apollo 13, which didn't happen at all, despite the movie, was simply a simulation inside of a simulation to get people's interest back into the space program. Apollo 13 was totally faked. Totally faked. Apollo Those 13 men, the never left the Earth. The movie that's up for nine Oscars never even happened. Never even happened. But the guy wrote such a realistic book. Well, sure. He's paid to write a realistic book. You know, many of the Apollo astronauts have become multimillionaires. Where do you suppose all that money came from? Well, why did they keep faking the, uh, you know, Apollo flights? I still don't understand. Like, didn't the Soviet Union know it was faked? Why did they keep shut up if they knew it was faked? Well, because a lot of people would think they kept the moon race going to prove the United States was better in the Soviet Union. But if the Soviet Union knew, why did they let the United States get away with this? Well, I'll tell you, at the highest levels, there's a 
coalition between governments. In other words, the Soviets said, if you won't tell on us, and they faked most of their space exploits, we won't tell on you. It's as simple as that. See, what, what Apollo is, it, it is the beginning of the end of the ability of the government to, to hoodwink and bamboozle and manipulate the people. More and more people are becoming aware in the United States that the government is totally and completely public enemy number one. Well, let's get a bit more into the proving part that we never went to the moon, Bill. You okay. mentioned earlier there were no stars in the photos. NASA right. says their cameras weren't set properly. You say, well, they could have been set properly. They just didn't do it properly. There was no crater beneath the lunar lander. What's right. the significance of that? Well, the significance is that the lunar lander engine developed 10,000 pounds of thrust, and I've seen many, many rocket engines of that capability uh, in action, and they are so powerful they will move giant rocks across the canyon. Uh, a 10,000-pound thrust engine would have dug a hole right down to bedrock, and it would have stirred up a, an enormous cloud of dust, and that never appeared in any of the so-called films that they took of the lunar lander. So the, the, the crater, the absence of the crater in any photograph of Apollo lunar landers uh, is actually probably the only real proof that you need. You don't need much beyond that and the fact that there weren't any stars. What about the operation of the lunar module in the sense that it takes place thousands of miles above the moon? This is what NASA says. That like the operation, the big explosion that comes from the lunar module, when it lands on the moon, it happens, you know, way up above the moon. And that's why there's no crater. What about that explanation? Well, uh, you know yourself that the lunar lander eventually had to, according to NASA, land on the moon. Well, as it approached the landing point, the engine still had to develop enough thrust to keep the lunar lander, which weighed in, or in lunar gravity about 3,000 pounds, they had to develop enough thrust to keep it floating above the surface in order to let it gently uh, uh, land on the surface. But that, that obviously uh, was not substantiated by any crater under the lunar lander engine. There were no stars in the photo. There was no crater beneath the lunar lander. These are reasons that we never went to the moon. And this is Bill Casing. You are Bill Casing, right? That's my name. Author of We Never Went to the Moon. Furthermore, the radiation should have turned your astronauts into crispy space bacon. Yes, it would have. And it also would have pierced them with thousands of micrometeorites. Uh, the moon is not a place for human beings, ever. And Russia you know, did a study in about 59, and this is what the U.S. picked up on, when the U.S. realized in 59 they couldn't go to the moon because the radiation was so bad? That's right. Is there any background for this, or is there any records that prove this, about the radiation out there in space? Well, I think any good astrophysicist could give you all the data, because it's been pretty well documented by studies. Uh, it's not hard to find basic information on uh, flights in outer space. And what you come across when you do investigate it is how hostile the universe really is once you leave the Earth's protective atmosphere. Well, do you believe that rockets ever made orbit? Like, did Surveyor or Pioneer actually happen? 
Possibly, possibly not. Uh, I'm not absolutely certain about that. I will concede that certain uh, unmanned vehicles might have made it to the moon. The Russians are supposed to have sent some unmanned vehicles to the moon, and possibly our surveyor did land on the moon, but uh, units with people in them, never. How about in the actual atmosphere, like John Glenn in space, Yuri Gagargan, were they actually in space? I doubt it. So the Soviet Union faked that Yuri Gargan was in space and that dog that died, Laika, really didn't die? Mm, I don't think he was up there. See, there was a fellow by the name of Lloyd Mallon in the early 70s who wrote a, a very detailed book uh, saying that uh, all, if, if well, nearly all or possibly all of the Soviet uh, space exploits were faked. And he proved it with photographs and technical data and so forth. I, I still have a copy of that book. So continuing on with reasons that we didn't make it to the moon here, Bill Casing is pointing out, there were no stars in the photos from the moon. There was no crater beneath the lunar lander. The radiation should have cooked people. There were various lighting anomalies. Oh, a lot of lighting anomalies. Uh, some friends from Europe came over recently, and what they did, they're very interested in this project, they analyzed NASA films of supposedly taken on the moon frame by frame. And you know what they found out? What, Bill Casing, author of We Never Went to the Moon? Shadows diverged. In other words, if you have a point source of light like the sun, and you can see this uh, anytime outdoors, all shadows will be parallel. Telephone poles, trees, you name it. All the shadows will be parallel. Well, these men found in analyzing frame-by-frame -frame movies that there was more than one uh, lighting source for this uh, film. Now, that proves beyond any doubt in my mind that these pictures, these motion pictures, were taken inside of a, of a movie set using gigantic spotlights to simulate the sun. But because they would pan shots and show like the rover or astronauts running around and so forth, if you analyze them frame by frame, you find out that the shadows are not parallel. This to me is one of the most significant breakthroughs. And I only learned it about two months ago well, how about NASA countering that, where they say, you know, on some pictures, astronauts are lit from more than one side because the sunlight is reflected off the lunar surface or off the lunar vehicle? Very unlikely in a vacuum, because uh, light doesn't go around corners unless it's assisted. If you look at uh, NASA pictures allegedly taken on the moon, all of the potholes, the little mini craters and so forth, have completely black shadows. Well, any picture of any device on the moon should have had completely black shadows where the sun did not illuminate them. How about the pictures of the moon where there's curves in the moon? How did they achieve that if they faked the moon landing bill casing? Uh, what was your question again? The curve of the moon. How did they fake the curve? Like, you see, you know, the curve of the moon. Oh, well, when I was in Frankfurt, Germany recently, I saw about a six-foot diameter moon uh, a model, and it was absolutely perfect. So all the NASA people had to do was create a model of the moon, and they could shoot any curvature they wanted. Did people see Apollo 11 take off? 
Well, yes, certainly. Uh, so what July... happened? What happened then? If they saw it take off, what happened? Like the rocket took off, what happened, Bill Casing? If we didn't go to the moon, what actually happened when Apollo 11 took off? Uh, the Apollo 11 vehicle, or Saturn V, was sent out of people's sight, and then it was jettisoned into the South Atlantic, where all of the six that were launched now reside. There were no astronauts, of course, on board. They were hidden away carefully to be returned, allegedly, in their command capsule by being dumped out of a C-5A transport plane. So did see, they... It was easy to do all of this because they had total control of everything. Were, so they were not on the rocket when it took off then? No, they were not. And then they were picked up. Now, you talked to a pilot who saw all this happen? Yes. A pilot came on the air when I was doing a broadcast just like this one, and he says, Bill, I agree with you 100%. He says, I was flying from San Francisco to Tokyo, and I saw, uh, along with several passengers, I saw a command capsule dropped out of a C-5A, and the red and white candy-striped parachutes opened, and it descended to the surface of the ocean. And what happened after then? Well, they were, of course, picked up and put into biological uh, suits so that they wouldn't uh, afflict anybody with moon germs. But my theory on that is that uh, they couldn't tell these big, bald-faced lies this early. So they were actually kept from the press for approximately a month until they could sort of uh, uh, reconcile themselves with telling a lot of big lies. No, but I'm just curious. Apollo 11 takes off. The rocket dumps in the south, uh, south off South America or of the Atlantic. There, then what happens then? Are the astronauts are just you know hiding somewhere, and then eventually they get on a plane and then jump out of the plane and they've landed. That was it. That is correct. No moon involved at all. No moon involved at all. I am 100% positive of this, and every day when I get information from people that support my views, I'm more convinced than ever. How did they make the astronauts float, Bill Casing, author of We Never Went to Moon? Because it seems pretty convincing when you see them floating around there. Like, a lot of people, when you say, hey, you know, we never went to the moon, they went, well, you know, I saw it. I saw them floating there. I saw them on the moon right there. Well, that could have been done just like they did the Broadway play Peter Pan. In other words, used uh, wires and suspended the astronauts from an overhead crane and had them leap gaily across what uh, actually was a moon set. No, it's not difficult to uh, show astronauts uh, taking big leaps, uh, nor is it uh, difficult, to, for example, to put them in a simulated command capsule and uh, have them go through, you know, an anti-gravity curve. Could you hold one second? Sure. We're speaking here to Bill Casing, author of We Never Went to the Moon, live from SoCal, California. This is Bill Casing. Okay, here I am. Hello, Bill. How are you doing? Uh, fine. Just to um, reiterate here again, reasons that we did not make it to the moon. Number one, there were no stars in the photos. Right. There was no crater beneath the lunar lander. Right. Radiation should have turned the astronauts into crispy space bacon. There Correct. were weird lighting anomalies. Now, an interesting, the, another point here is the moon rocks were fake? Like, are the moon rocks real? No, they are not real. NASA has a well-developed ceramics laboratory with high-temperature ovens. Because that's another way NASA could prove they went to the moon, because they brought back these rocks. Yeah, Interestingly well, they... enough, at the University of British Columbia here, David Strangway, the president of the University of British Columbia, was the guy in charge of inspecting the moon rocks. 
Okay, fine. Why don't you call him up and ask him what he thinks about them? So what happened? The moon rocks were not real? No, they were manufactured on Earth to look like moon rocks. But since nobody has any moon rocks to compare them with, uh, it's very simple to uh, make up a moon rock and say, hey, this came from the moon. Well, how would you know it is a moon rock? Well, there's... Uh, like, how I do you know it's not a moon rock? Like, how do you know it's a fake? I had a Seattle geologist who examined moon rocks, and he said there's no question, Bill, that these rocks were made in a laboratory on Earth. The actual astronauts had strange language as well. I noticed from your book there were some little clips and also some other articles like Houston Control said, well, it's a good show. And in the command service module replied, fantastic. And in Armstrong replied, yeah, I'll second that. Like, well, it's a good show. That was interesting language. Roger, we rigged your five by Columbia. He has landed Tranquility Base. Eagle, is that Tranquility? Over. Yeah, I heard the whole thing. Well, good show. Fantastic. Roger, we rigged your five by Columbia. He has landed Tranquility Base. Eagle, is that Tranquility? Over. Yeah, I heard the whole thing. Buck, good show. Fantastic. Roger, we rigged your five by Columbia. He has landed Tranquility Base. Eagle, is that Tranquility? Over. Yeah, I heard the whole thing. Buck, good show. Fantastic. Yes, and you can find a little more of that in an article published in a magazine called Wired, uh, published in September of 1994. So if any of your listeners want to pick up that magazine, it's Wired 994, and it has a 4,000-word article by Rogier von Bakel, uh, essentially on my contentions. Bill, has anybody ever seen the studio that this was faked in, where they faked the moon landing? Has anybody ever seen the studio where they faked it? Because, like, it's in Area 51, which you alluded to. It was also alluded to in the films Diamonds Are Forever and Capricorn One. Yes, that's right. They did allude to the, uh, to the soundstage or the hidden moon set. No, the reason no one has ever seen it and come out alive is because they don't intend for anybody to see it and come out alive. Uh, you got to remember that, that NASA is kind of a lethal organization. Uh, Jim Irwin, Apollo 15, uh, was put up to blowing the whistle on the whole project, and he called me up ostensibly to give me the facts. Four days later, he died of a heart attack. Now, what does that tell you? Well, a lot of people died when dissing NASA. What's the significance of the Barron Report? Oh, that's profound. A man named Thomas Ronald Barron was an inspector on Pad 34, where Grissom, Chafee, and White were murdered. He brought forth a 500-page report on the mismanagement, the incompetence of NASA and North American. And uh, again, like Jim Irwin, a few days after he testified before the Congressional Investigating Committee, he was found dead in his car at a railroad crossing. Now, what does that tell you? A lot of people got knocked off. Oh, yeah, just like the Kennedy assassination. Something like 18 people died uh, after the Kennedy assassination, and the odds against that are something like $3 trillion to one. No, NASA and the CIA and, and the whole U.S. government is a rotten and corrupt organization designed just to get all the tax money they can out of people, uh, to manipulate their minds, to keep them amused with sporting uh, events and, and silly uh, TV sitcoms. 
we, unfortunately, in the United States are pretty well brainwashed to believing whatever the government says. And they have control, as you well know, of the media. So again, Bill Casing, please prove that we never went to the moon. What again are some of the points you'd like to go through? Or maybe go through the scenario of what actually happened with that flight. I'd still like to clarify what happened. Maybe you could walk through what happened, how they faked the moon landing. How was the moon landing faked? You know, was Disney involved? Maybe you could just go through that scenario. Okay, well, the astronauts were not in the Saturn V when it took off. They were flown to the West Coast and kept in hiding until it was time to so-called bring them back. In the meantime, the Saturn V was dumped into the South Atlantic, never to be seen again. On the day that they were due back, they were loaded into a command capsule that was purposely heat-streaked, put into a C-5A airplane, and flown out over the landing zone and dropped out. And uh, when they emerged, they came with stories of, uh, of landing on the moon and uh, wonderful photographs. You know, the National Geographic has magnificent pictures. Well, all of these magnificent pictures were taken on Earth because to take them on the moon would have been impossible. The temperatures were too high. The film would have curled up as a result of it. Uh, if you notice that the Hasselblad camera is worn outside of the astronaut's suit, and it is not cooled in any way. So that camera would have heated up to uh, the, the temperature to bake cookies in a very short time, because the, the sun on the moon is, is absolutely relentless. There's no atmosphere to mitigate the heat of the sun. So... Uh, NASA made a few phony uh, moon rocks and came up with the stories of the astronauts and uh, put out a lot of pictures. And actually, it, was, it wasn't hard to fake the moon landings. And afterwards, they kept on faking, like they, they faked Apollo 13, the whole thing. Sure, the whole thing was just a scenario to get people more interested in the space project, make it seem like a cliffhanging operation, that it was more dangerous than it, was really, than it really was. And they realized in 1959, 1959, that they couldn't put a man to the moon. Uh, that's when the Russians realized that the, the moon was lethal and they stopped all planning of landing a man on the moon. And the United States got a hold of this information and that's when they began planning. In fact, one of the men in advanced design that I knew quite well said that the chance of landing a man on the moon was one was point zero zero one seven. That was the, the percentage of opportunity to actually take somebody to the moon and back again. Well, how much space stuff since 1959 has been real? Like, what space stuff is real today? Did the Challenger blow up? Did NASA know it would blow up? Yeah, and you know why it blew up? Because Krista McAuliffe, the only civilian and only woman aboard, refused to go along with the lie that you couldn't see stars in space. So they blew her up along with six other uh, people uh, to keep that lie under wraps. So the, I, I claim that Krista McAuliffe was murdered. So when the Challenger blew up, it wasn't because of O-ring problems. It was because NASA murdered the people because they didn't want them to go along with the gags? They, they, well, Krista McAuliffe was a woman of great integrity, and she would not agree to say that you couldn't see stars in space.
So, Bill Casing, are you saying that Roberta Bondar, Canada's first astronaut, never actually made it in space because she was on the shuttle? Uh, I, well, I'll tell you what. The shuttle is a possibility. After all, it's low altitude. Uh, I haven't done a great deal of research on the shuttle, but several people have said that the shuttle is actually faked also. Krista McCoffley refused to say that she couldn't see stars in space. That's right. And which would verify the moon landing claim of no stars in the photos on the moon. Exactly. So they, bl Once you so they blew her up. What's that? So they blew her up. Yeah, exactly. Once you start telling lies, you've got to keep on going. And then, of course, you try to cover up lies like the film uh, Apollo 13. Which I'm sure is not on your bestseller list for this year, right? <laughs> I've seen it, and I examined it very carefully, and I found a, a, a tremendous anomaly in it. They show the exhaust of the lunar lander model engine as being uh, a yellow gold. Well, the fuels used on the lunar module were nitrogen tetroxide and unsymmetrical dimethyl hydrazine, which produce a opaque red gas. So uh, their technical experts on Apollo 13 weren't really with it because uh, otherwise they would have created a red, opaque gas as the emission from the lunar rocket engine. So Krista McCoffey refused to say that she couldn't see stars in space. Those three guys that died in 1967 on the launch pad, they were, they were, were, were going to refuse to go along with this gag that they were actually going to go to the moon, and then they got murdered as well? That's correct. And so who else is going to get murdered? What else is coming up? What's the future? Like, what is real that's in space that we can see out there, Bill Casing, author of We Never Went to the Moon? Well, I would say this, that the number of people that believe my version of Apollo are increasing in great numbers. I had a fellow come up from L.A. He borrowed all of my papers, materials, video and film and so forth, went back and did an hour and a half tape on We Never Went to the Moon. Uh, the book is being translated into German and Italian in Europe. I've had inquiries from Australia, from Hawaii, from essentially all over the world, and uh, all, of our, all of them are highly supportive and have given me a lot of brand new information which I never knew before. So my feeling is that uh, within a short time the Apollo hoax will be exposed, and after that, that will open Pandora's box. After that, the U.S. government is going to be hard-pressed to keep the lies about the Federal Reserve Bank, about the IRS being the Gestapo of, of America, about the fact that all silver was taken out of circulation in 1963, the fact that uh, Canada does not import our meat because it's so full of rotten chemicals. I'm sure you knew that. The Canadians are pretty smart because they don't import American meat. So you see, in this country, we're at the short end of things because of the corruption of the government. Bill Casing, there are some people who believed the moon landing was faked, and you believe the moon landing was fake, don't you? Oh, totally, 100%, and I always will. I'm going to work on it until the day I die. Because there's some people who believed the moon landing was faked because the U.S. government didn't want to disclose that they'd been on the moon since 1910. No... My feeling is that no human being has ever landed on the moon because of the lethal environment on the surface.
Well, how do you deal with people who are you're trying to convince this to? Isn't it like trying to convince people the Earth is flat? You know, how do how do you distinguish yourself? You know, with these people, Bill Casing. Well, it's easy. I've got the proof. I've got the photographs, which are available to anybody. All it takes is some study. If you look at the pictures taken uh, of Aldrin by Armstrong, you can find so many mistakes in those photographs that uh, anybody in, in his uh, right mind would realize just by those photos alone that they were fake. Well, how did the media fall for this? Well, the media doesn't fall for anything. The media is controlled by the government. Uh, the Dutch papers on July 21st said that, that the moon landing was a, was a hoax, was a fake. And I have been unable to find any of those Dutch papers, although it's well documented that they did publish information with proof that, uh, that the U.S. was spoofing everybody. Didn't the National Enquirer also have stuff, too? Well, I did send some of my material to one of their subsidiaries called Weekly World News, and they did a marvelous job of uh, presenting my material. It was extremely accurate. So it, it has, it, you know, I've been in newspapers. I've been on Oprah Winfrey show and uh, quite a number of other uh, leading television shows. What did Oprah want from you? Oh, she wanted me to talk about the moon book. I did that July 5th, 1981 in Baltimore, Maryland, on the leading uh, NBC station there. Well, July 5th is my birthday. Oh, well, that's a good synchronicity. Have you ever talked to any astronauts oh, at all? yes. I've talked to uh, Edwin Buzz Aldrin. Uh, I was invited to appear on CBS television in Los Angeles with Colonel Aldrin. And uh, they called him up, and uh, he wouldn't appear with me. So I called him up, and I said, Buzz, why don't you appear with me? And his exact words were, quote, that is something I do not want to do. And he hung up. Now, if allegedly, if in reality they had gone to the moon, wouldn't they put me on the air with uh, a genuine astronaut and let me debate with him? You've got to remember, too, that, uh, that uh, Armstrong, Neil Armstrong, has not given more than three interviews since he allegedly returned from the moon. A friend of mine went to see him to, to question him, and he not only refused to talk to him, he said, if you hang around my farm much longer, I'll call the police. Now, here's the most famous man of the 20th century. Neil Armstrong allegedly set foot on the moon July 21st, 1969. Why won't he talk about it? Maybe he's just tired of talking about it. No, he couldn't be uh, tired of talking about it because it's his duty and obligation to be a national hero. He took NASA's money. He was supported by the government for many, many years. And here he is uh, in, a, in a position of, of, let's say, talking about Apollo in a very convincing way, but he won't talk at all. Now, he lives on a farm in, uh, in Ohio near Columbus. Anybody can find his address and go see him. And uh, you'll and, well, I'll ask you, why don't you call him up and see if he'll answer some questions about uh, no crater and no stars and so forth? I'd love to. Can you supply me with his number? I don't have his number, but it shouldn't be hard to get it from, uh, uh, well, right now they have a CD-ROM or a uh, software program that has all of the telephone numbers in the United States. 
So you should be able to get it from that, unless you can get it from uh, Ohio information. Wouldn't they have unlisted numbers, though? Well, he possibly has unlisted number, but he's uh, numbers, but he's president of a of a company, and it shouldn't be hard to track him down. At one time, I had his number when he lived uh, in another area, and I tried to get in touch with him uh, to no avail. Bill Casing, you've been trying to prove that we never went to the moon for 20 years now. What new information have you garnered? Well, as I said, most recently, the divergent shadows. Uh, Ralph Rene has done a, a very comprehensive study on temperatures on the moon. He's proved that in no way could the lunar lander where uh, Aldrin and Armstrong slept uh, could have been cooled down because they did not have the power. So it's, it's, uh, what's happening now is that a lot of technical information is coming uh, on stream. Uh, also, I think you picked me up off Internet. Yes, I did. Yeah, right. Well, see, my name is on Internet, and uh, uh, my book's on Internet. I'm now getting phone calls from many different people who believe in my uh, contention that the Apollo was a hoax, and they have contributed a lot to, to the body of information that I have managed to acquire. Is there any way of, like, going to the Smithsonian in Washington and looking at the stuff and seeing that it is fake? Oh, yeah. One of my friends went to the Smithsonian, and he measured the exit door of the lunar lander and found out that uh, astronauts wearing their life support systems could not have gone out that door. They were too big. And all this was faked somewhere in the desert. Well, either in the desert and or Norton Air Force Base, I suspect that a lot of the real fine photography and action was done at Norton Air Force Base where they were able to create what appeared to be solar lighting. That was one of the most difficult things to do, to create, to simulate the sun, because the sun's light is so glaring, so powerful, that it would have taken a tremendous arc lamp to simulate the sun. And they could have actually created a vacuum inside the sound states. See, if you've got $30 billion, it's no problem to do just about anything you want, including murder people, eliminate anybody that comes uh, on stream and, and tells opposing stories. I have been invited to, start, to talk on radio many times, and I have been immediately discredited. In what sense? Well, for example, Chuck Ashman in L.A. called me and he said, I understand you say we never went to the moon. And I said, yes, and here's my proof. Well, he clicked me off and he said, well, this is what I call uh, an irresponsible journalist, a man who has no real proof that we didn't go to the moon, but he's running around telling people that it was all a hoax. And that's what we want to do right now is prove it. One last time here, Bill Casing, the proof that we never went to the moon. Bill Casing, author, 20 years you've been working on this. We never went to the moon. The proof is there were no stars in the photos that were supplied by NASA. That's the strongest piece of evidence, the strongest argument that supports my view. And, and because Krista McAfee did not agree to that, she was murdered on the Challenger. That is correct. And there were no craters beneath the lunar lander. That is also correct. And nobody's ever seen the studio either. That's more reason to believe we never went to the moon, right? That's right. Radiation should have, like, destroyed the astronauts. Yes, it should have. There was... Were they there? 
there were lighting anomalies. The moon rocks weren't real. The actual astronauts had weird language when they were actually talking. Like it was a good show, fantastic. And also it was impossible to make it to the moon, you believe, because since 1959, Russia had said you wouldn't be able to make it to the moon because of the actual radiation. That's what you believe, right? Yes, sir. That was the real turning part. It was actually physically impossible to make it to somebody, for somebody to make it to the moon? That is correct, and that's why they say, and there was an old saying in NASA, if you can't make it, fake it. Are there any other points that we haven't pointed out here today, Bill Casing, about not making it to the moon that we haven't covered more proof to prove that we never made it to the moon? Well, I think we've covered the, the very important general ones. Uh, there are a lot of details. For example, uh, Edwin Aldrin, when he came back from his alleged trip to the moon, wrote a book called Return to Earth. Well, I've read the book three times, and in it we find a man who is trying desperately to tell the truth, but he's unable to. In other words, they put the wraps on him. They've, they've told him, don't ever talk about the moon as, as a fake. But an interesting thing happened to Aldrin when he was speaking at Edwards Air Force Base to some of his fellow pilots. He was asked by a TV in, in, interrogator, what was it like to be on the moon? And Edwin Aldrin at that point could not answer that question. He began shaking and trembling. He walked off the stage into an alley and later got drunk. Now, if you've done something honestly and truthfully, you can talk about it without any problems. Well, it was obvious that here was an occasion when Aldrin could not tell that lie one more time. Have you been threatened at all, Bill Casing? Oh, death threats and... Uh, Letters with skull and crossbones on them. I've been called a commie sympathizer, a traitor to the United States. Uh, many things have happened to me. One time I was on KOME radio doing a three-hour show, and halfway through the show, someone dropped napalm on the transmitter in the Gilroy Hills. They wanted to cut us, cut our story off, and police came. They offered us police protection, and the KOME was off the air for three days until they could fix a quarter, mil a quarter of a million dollars uh, damage. Boy, Americans really care about the moon landing, don't they? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's like Pearl Harbor. They managed to cover up the, uh, the truth of Pearl Harbor uh, since December 7, 1941. And everybody that was in World War II, including me, knows that uh, the Japanese uh, were uh, set up to do it. In fact, uh, some people told me that uh, two shiploads of, ship of gold were sent to Japan to finance Pearl Harbor. They were sent by the British because the British wanted us involved in the war, and Pearl Harbor seemed like a good way to do it. So the Americans bribed the Japanese into bombing Pearl Harbor? Yes, and Roosevelt, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, not only knew about the attack, he helped arrange it, and he suppressed the information about the Japanese attack from Kimmel and Short, the naval and army commanders at Pearl Harbor. Amazing. Something else I'd love to talk to you about uh, down the road. If you want another interview, I know quite a bit about Pearl Harbor, and uh, I have several books on the subject. And uh, this was one of the biggest hoaxes perpetrated by the U.S. government to get us involved in a deadly war. And um, 
there's no question that, that it was all set up. Are there any Canadian connections to the moon landing? You mentioned uh, Quebec looking a lot like the moon, and perhaps some photos were taken there to help fake the moon landing. Yes, I was told that there's an area north of Quebec that's very rocky and very uh, austere. There's no vegetation, and that some of the astronauts were seen in that vicinity. And it's possible that they were trying to take lunar shots uh, north of Quebec. Why should people care about the moon landing, Bill Casing? Why should people care that the moon landing was faked? A lot of people go, big deal, we got other stuff to worry about. Big deal, Kennedy was, you know, killed the moon landing. What's the, why should people care that the moon landing was faked? Well, I think we should care because it proves that the U.S. government is just a, a body politic of lies and falsehood. They have been for many, many years on all of the important subjects. Social Security is bankrupt. Uh, the food in America is all uh, weak poisons. Uh, people are, are put under the thumb of the IRS. There are so many things wrong with the United States. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't dislike the people. It's the government that I call public enemy number one. The government that lies, that says there were stars in the photos taken on the moon. The government that lies, that says that there was a crater beneath the lunar lander when there was no crater beneath the lunar lander. The government that lies, that says the moon rocks were actually real when they're actually fake. The government that lies, that says the government that killed Krista McAfee. I can't believe that Krista McAfee was actually killed. She was killed because she wouldn't go along with the, with the myth of going to the moon. Well, she wouldn't perpetrate the lie that was very important. She was going to tell the truth, and uh, you have to look out for people like that. And those poor three guys that died on the launch pad, those guys wouldn't go along with it, too, and they were nailed. It's kind of scary, Bill Casing. Well, uh, seven, other, seven astronauts were killed in 1967, and it's very possible that all of them intended to blow the whistle on the government, and so they were eliminated, just like the witnesses to the uh, Kennedy assassination. Anything else you'd like to add to the people out there in Radio Land of Vancouver, B.C., Canada? Bill Casing, author of We Never Went to the Moon? Well, I will say this. Uh, whether you believe my story or not, go to the library in your spare time and take a look at some NASA books and study the photographs. Use your own intelligence to analyze them and see that they could not have been taken on the moon. That's, that's the number one proof. All right, Bill. Keep on rocking in the free world and do 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 do. What's that? Bill? Do, 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 do.